Today we taped our podcast a little late because we chose to go to the Black Lives Movement rally. And it's the first one that I've been to. And we've been watching it in the news and we've been watching it show up on TV and we've been hearing people, you know, on social media speak about it. And one event today that I saw that really moved me was a Marine that stood for three hours with black tape over his mouth that said, I can't breathe. And he was in his military uniform, his Marine uniform. And he also submitted a letter along with his standing in silence. And he spoke about the people that he served with and how important it was for him that he stand in silence and solidarity with them and he himself even spoke about how he hasn't done enough and I just started wondering what what is enough I don't even know what to do I don't I don't know where to go I'm 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 in education and we want to do the right thing but then when I was at the rally I found myself getting emotional because I realized I don't really even know their names I only know Trayvon Martin and I know George Floyd and I can't even remember the name of the girl who was just shot in her bed and I and I can't even believe that I don't even have that little bit of information I sit in my house and do my own thing and live my life and so I'm glad I went today and I got work to do and I want to thank the Marine because he said some really eloquent things and thanks to the, my carload of friends here who came down with me and hopefully we'll, we'll find new ways. We'll find new ways to help those around us have some justice and have some safety in their lives. You know, we want our kids to always come back when they leave our house. We want them to be able to come back to us. And not everybody feels that way. So those are some of my thoughts. Um, I just kind of wanted to share an experience I had that I was thinking a lot about. Um, I have some friends that were getting married, and I went to go get fitted for a tux the other day. So I rolled up to the tuxedo store, whatever it's called. And I, I walk in and I don't, I don't, suits don't really work for me. I'm not built like that. And so I, I uh, so I, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm built better. <laughs> no, so I walk in and the dude is like taking my measurements and he throws a suit coat on me. And instantly I know what's gonna happen. It like fit my shoulders, but it was massive. I looked like a child dressing up in his dad's clothes. Like I looked like a kid cosplaying as an adult. It was bad. And, I, and it's like always how suits go for me. And so I was like, you know what, I'm sorry. This is just, I'm, I'm built like a can of green beans. I can't help it. And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. Hold up, hold up. And he was like, first off, you have incredibly broad shoulders for your size. And I was like, oh, oh okay, well, thank you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, no. So when we put a suit on you, what we do is we fit it to the largest part of your body and then we work on the rest. And I was like, well, it fits my shoulders, and so I appreciate it, it fits. He was like, no, 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 you don't understand. He was like, the suit coat doesn't fit unless it fits every part of your body. He said, but it fits your shoulders, but it doesn't fit your arms. If it's too much for your torso, it doesn't fit. It has to fit every part of your body. And what we're seeing right now in this country 
is that we have a set of regulations. We have a suit coat that fits one part of the body, but doesn't fit the rest. Welcome to Little Things First. This is Jim Martin, and this is a special episode that we're doing because there's a lot going on in our country right now, Tracy, right? Yeah, exactly. So this is Tracy Van Deventer, and we are... We are surprised by the response and thrilled by all the people that have been moved into action. And I'm excited to talk more about um, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, you had an experience today. Tell a little bit about it. Uh, well, yeah, I went actually to a rally today. And here's the question too, what do you call it? A rally, a march, a protest? I don't know, we can talk about that. Uh, once John's here, but we, we went to what I'm going to call a rally, and uh, a lot of people were there, and it was it was actually really emotional for me, um, and and powerful, and inspiring to see such diversity and s so many different kinds of people uh, out. And um, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll tell you more as we get going. But it that's was, cool. It was moving, and I've got my shirt. Yeah. Yes, you do. That's yeah. awesome. Okay. All right. Should we bring John in? Yeah, let's bring him in. Okay. John. Oh, there's John's house. Hey, John. There's John. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Hi, good. John. Good, how are you doing? So good. Long time no see. It That's right. So good to see you. Oh, so good to see both of you. You were, you were back in one of our very first episodes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> You guys were there back at the very beginning of my teaching career. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, with some congratulations are in order because you are the Salt Lake City School District Teacher of the Year, right? This is this is correct. I don't know how that happened, but yes, absolutely. Well, it's long overdue, but congratulations. Yes. That's yes. wonderful. Uh, thank well you so deserved. much. Well deserved. Uh, thank you. I was very proud to bring it back to Metal Arc Elementary in Salt Lake City. So... Yeah. Very good. Yeah. And what happens? Do you like compete at the state level or? Yeah. So um, I, I, it's weird to say compete, you know, yeah. like when, it's a bad word. The, well, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, being selected teacher of the year is kind of like being selected like rainbow of the year or unicorn of the year. Like we're all, like all <laughs> teachers are natural wonders, you know, it's like, right. The, they're all beautiful but um yeah i get to i get to represent for my my school district at the state level and yeah i've got an application due at the end of the month and then see what happens sweet yeah that's great yeah. well we're proud of you that's really wonderful thank yeah. you thank you Good. well thanks for meeting with us again because we just um you know we record several months in advance but we thought we should really have a conversation with some folks about what's going on in the country right now. And so this is gonna come out sooner rather than later. Um, okay. Cause we want some perspectives from teachers about yeah. Black Lives Matter and um, you know, just another murder of a African-American male this week. Um, you know, I mean, it just keeps going on and on. So we're just wondering, you know, what, what are your reactions to all of this as a social justice minded educator? It's, it's, um, I mean, to try and put labels on the emotions I'm feeling is pretty tough. Uh, it's disgusting. It's disheartening. Um, I'm, I'm filled with a, a great sense of hope watching the protests, watching, 
you know, I, I've been in this uh, teaching for seven years now. So my first group was in fifth grade and they are now finishing their junior year of high school. And I've watched them lead marches. I've gotten to um, watch them give speeches and, and take control of this issue um, on behalf of themselves and their community. And so, you know, when you see that, it leaves you feeling uh, both pained that they have to, but heartened by the way that they take a stand. It's a beautiful yeah. thing, but in a terrible time. Right. Yeah, how are you all feeling? overwhelmed yeah yeah i mean i feel this sense that i want to do something and um you know i i don't know exactly what to do but something is better than nothing um mm -hmm. so talking about it um reading um you know just i think everybody is trying to find a way to to understand and to be part of the conversation and to move things forward. And I think educators are in a great position because we're, you know, I mean, we have the potential to be activists and we're in front mm -hmm. of kids all the time and um, mm -hmm. have a great ability to influence. Um, what, what do you think your role will be when kids come back in the fall, if they do come back, I guess? Well, yeah, whether we're in person or online, the responsibility is the same, right? We have to, um, you know, inform them. Uh, a lot of them, unfortunately, are very brutally being forced to reckon with the realities of race in our nation. And some of my students, you know, several of my students, I remember having this conversation a few years ago. So unfortunately, this is, this is nothing new. The action that people are taking now is amazing but these heinous killings and uh the murdering of uh black men and women in our society unfortunately has been something to talk to students about for my whole time in teaching and when i would have these conversations with some students who were fresh from africa refugees you know having to reckon with what it means to be black in america and have this asian teacher telling you about this reality that you need to be aware of because um, you face threats that you didn't realize were there when you when you came to the country uh, I I always feel you know <laughs> guilty that I have to break this kind of bad news to them ill-equipped um, not being a member of the uh, marginalized community affected most directly by this um, but my, my role is going to be to uh, make sure that my students are informed and then um, push them to do something about it. You know, my, my students have always understood the fact that it's, it's fine for a time to, to be sad and to watch what's happening. But very soon after that, you have to get up and you got to do something about it. And my students, I teach sixth grade. Um, they are 11 and 12 years old, but more than capable of joining the conversation, uh, taking action on behalf of themselves, their families, their community. At my school, it's primarily, uh, it's majority Latino. And, um, you know, the, the demographics from their breakdown with Pacific Islander, Asian, a lot of 
uh, refugee students. And unfortunately, every single group that might get listed on spreadsheet, they all have something that they're fighting against and people that they're fighting for. So whether right now it's Black Lives Matter um, and making sure that they all understand both their roles as uh, members of their own community groups, but allies for each other to stand up with and lean on when the time comes. Uh, they get it. And whether I'm telling them over WebEx or Zoom or in person, they're going to they're gonna get it in the fall too. You know, John, one thing um, I love about your work is that you do probably the best job of anybody I've seen on giving students a voice. And uh, I've seen you do that through the videos that you've made. And I know that we've talked about earlier when we had you as a guest, but I, but I would love to relist those and just remind people, because I think right now those messages that students give in those videos are even more meaningful. But, but I'd love to hear from you about what is your process of getting to the place with your students where you're talking about those kind of difficult things and then feeling comfortable and creating a space that's comfortable that allows students to be taped and to be part of this? Because you can tell when you watch the videos, kids are, kids are saying things that mean something, right? So would, would you talk about that process a little? Because I think like Jim, we're all looking for ways to yeah. have action and if nothing else this could be a really powerful way for us to have kids get a voice sure so you know i was listening to one of your past episodes where gentleman was talking about creating an ecosystem for having conversations around race and the same can be applied to any critical and sensitive topic it starts with building a classroom environment and community where everybody knows that you are taken care of that you're safe this is a this is a i have a little light up star in my classroom that has the word drama with the almost like no smoking circles yeah. with the slash through it like there's no drama here that doesn't mean that we don't deal with tough stuff but there's there's none of the there's none of the just wasted time um taken for for petty things because at 11 and 12 years old I, I put a lot of pressure on my students and their parents put a lot of pressure on them to step up. You know, they have to take care of the siblings at home. They have a ton of responsibility. I have several students who go to work with their parents and they understand the fact that um, they, they are old enough. They were, I mean, they were born old enough to take a stand, but uh, they, they are expected to not only, like I said before, stand up for themselves, but stand up for each other. And kids take that to heart better than adults do, you know? And, you know, it, it takes time to establish a, an ecosystem where kids can have those conversations. And then once that's established, we, we get to work. And the kids, they understand the fact that I am there to facilitate their content you know they are content creators and my job is to provide them with a whatever information resources they need they pick their their subjects and you know when we first talked it was mostly around this whole group class project that i do and i'll describe that but it's expanded beyond that to more independent and small group activities too but each year my students select a topic whole group 
that they all are passionately concerned about. We watch the news every morning. Uh, we watch CNN 10 while I check homework and they eat breakfast in the classroom. And then as soon as uh, breakfast is over and the 10 minutes of the current events are rounded up on CNN, we talk about it. And every day talk, starts off with a discussion about what's happening in the news, what they think about it, uh, what they think ought to be done. And there's usually uh, just a very clear issue that gets repeated on the news over and over. And my students will say, oh, here we go. You know, and they just get so fired up and animated. And we talk about it and then we decide, you know what, we're gonna, we're gonna enter the conversation and not just in some, you know, drive by way of entering a, you know, a comment section of a, a video or whatever else and just posting something and then being gone. We're gonna take time to, to write a poem, uh, a spoken word poem that's more free verse that we can then record um, together and then video or create a video out of that audio recording that is representative of our classroom community and we post those videos on youtube the first time we did it we were uh inspired and motivated not inspired by it, but uh <laughs> we, we we were moved to take action by um president donald trump's statement when he first announced that he was going to run that you know mexico was sending murderers and rapists to the United States of America. And my, my students took that personally and uh, created a video where they talked about the fact that, um, you know, the, the people who come here are the best that you're gonna find anywhere in the world because they've, they've survived hardship and struggle and they have a great deal to contribute. And it's gone on from there. Last year, my students, um, they saw the families and children being fenced in under the bridge in El Paso. And that one was tough because they saw it on Monday when we got back from spring break, babies and children lying in the dirt and tinfoil blankets. And they said, we got, we got to make a song about this. And I said, okay. And they're like, but we got to do it fast because we watch the news. It'll be like, out of the conversation really quickly. So we made that one in about a week, uh, set to the tune of uh, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And uh, they just talked about how horrified they were by that site. And then they presented uh, an example, a model of how these families and children ought to be greeted when they reach the border. The, the last third of the video is them saying, welcome to the land of the free and telling these people all the the rights that they're going to have and no i can't promise you'll stay but while you're here you'll be okay and just just put it out there so that people can see as these numbers grow at our border here's how we ought to be taking care of them and here's how we ought to be treating them and i know it comes at cost to our country but it's so worth it to be decent and good and that's that's what i love most about the perspective that these kids put forward they're just motivated by decency and inherently good and we as adults are too we just have other things that compromise our integrity and um they don't they don't have that they're they're gloriously just who they are and um now with these issues that we're facing um i've watched my former students respond passionately thoughtfully respectfully 
but but not without fire and in their hearts and in their words and yeah it's it's a project that i've i've done repeatedly but when you do a whole group project like that sometimes you have students who aren't necessarily represented you know um most of the videos we've done have been centered around immigration because that was the main um social justice issue that we were seeing a lot in the news but um i i, I partnered with the utah film center and joined up with a program that they have where they come out and they teach your students how to make short documentary films and so my students uh, for the last couple of years have chosen topics themselves they can do it independently or they can do it in small groups and so i had students making you know documentaries about uh immigrant art and what it's like to be the daughters or to grow up as daughters without fathers um, whatever issue it is that they are most directly affected by in their lives and that when they go home is most apparent at the dinner table and when you look around the room uh it's it's freed up a lot of kids who were you know too quiet to and too timid to to find a voice for the issues that they were seeing and right now especially we're seeing just how dangerous it can be if if the timid don't speak and don't show up you know this is a time where everybody has to has to be there for each other and for the causes that that matter and um hopefully by learning how to do that at 11 and 12 my kids will just get out there and and grow in their voices and keep showing up that's great yeah. So, John, you know, I mean, this has been going on for a really long time. Like, I was in high school in 1992 when the Rodney King um, assault led, led to, you know, LA riots. And um, so it's been going on for years. The Black community has been dealing with this for years. Um, and people are saying this time it's going to be different. Do you think it will be different as a... Well, as a society, but, but I mean, we focus on education. I mean, how is this going to impact education? Is it going to impact it to a greater degree than past events have? And, um, and how? I, I certainly hope so. I don't want to, I don't want to put it on the record that I predict that this <laughs> is going to be that, that, that moment. And just to have that, you know, shown as, my naivete or my idealism just run rampant because you know it's like you said this has been going on forever and there have been plenty of moments you know death of martin luther king jr and uh the riots that we saw in the 60s and that moment in the 90s um those riots in la and i i i hope so but I think that the, the conversations around institutional racism and um, the way that systems are contributing negatively to the outcomes for different populations, I hope that educators and you know everybody up from administrators, superintendents, everybody's paying attention to the fact that you know you can't just say that racism is awful 
and that the killing of these people is deplorable. When you are members and, and just integral parts of a system that is, that is itself racist, the educational system in the United States is not without its blame. And if anything, um, could be called the root cause of a lot of what we're seeing. You know, when I look at my students who are the vast majority are students of color and I worry about, you know, the, the effect that this closure is going to have on the different gaps that were already there in society. You know, the achievement gap is only going to grow larger. The school to prison pipeline is only going to fill faster and uh, run deeper in our communities. Nothing that was bad before is going to be better now. It's all going to get a little bit worse. But hopefully we're aware enough of that problem that we as the, the cogs in the system, the parts that make it all move, insist that it's not enough to say that racism is bad, but to start implementing anti-racist practices in our classrooms, uh, anti-racist uh, practices in how we deal with behavioral issues and how we help kids who are struggling to be successful in our schools not to punish but to empathize and support um our our students of color have always been disproportionately affected adversely by the way that our system runs and if we can move to a better place within our field you know and i do everything i can to to improve my practice to, to work on my game so i'm a better um, teacher for my students if everybody approaches their craft and their work with a with a similar mindset but recognizing also that this is life and death for our kids um they don't have to grow up to get shot or to be victimized by um excessive police force you know i had a student who i went to my principal my my second year of teaching and he had He'd been struggling, he'd been a behavioral issue, but nothing crazy, and he was still coming to school. And something had happened in the neighborhood, and it was kind of making it hard for kids to learn in my class, so I went to my administrator and talked about it, and she's a wonderful uh, leader, but I left her office, and she said that she was gonna contact the, the student resource officer, or the school resource officer, the police officer that was assigned to our school and when i came back to check 45 minutes later after i taught a math lesson and got my kids into a good place where i could be freed up to come back my student had already been taken off to juvenile detention and this was on a friday and he was not released until tuesday mm. and that young man was and still is brilliant he's he's one of my favorite people in the whole wide world and I've, I've tried to keep tabs on him and keep in touch but his 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 educational uh experience never recovered you know that was he was a fifth grader then he he was never able to to come back and he for a time resented me and that was a moment where i realized that i had failed as a teacher as an ally as a as just a human being 
and they, I hadn't meant to. I just didn't realize the consequences of my choice, you know, who I went to and what I said and what I talked about with them. And frankly, I have not taken a, taken a student uh, to the administration in that way since. And this is, I just finished my seventh year of teaching. So that's five years where I've never asked for any help with a behavioral issue. One, because I'd like to think that I have the relationships to deal with those kinds of problems, but two, I also know that there's a chance that my kid might get locked up for something that he shouldn't. And I, I'm never willing to take that chance. Um, and until that fear is taken away, until I know that I can take a student who's having a hard time and they're going to get support and not punishment, then, you know, we're going to end up seeing biases uh, that carry on into all the generations to come you know, until, until people work this thing out. But there's a lot of the teachers out there marching. There's a lot of administrators out there marching. I know that you guys, Tracy, you were there today, weren't you? Yep, I was. Thank you. You know, that's, that's, that's by making that visible and other teachers seeing and other administrators seeing that this is the work that's being done. And, you know, I love the, I love the fact that students used to think it was weird when they bump elbows with us at the grocery store. And now they're bumping elbows with us at protests and marches. <laughs> right. That's to me, that is a sign that we are moving toward a better world. That's, yeah. that's what gives me hope and makes me think maybe this is that moment, you know, and at the very least it will be better than it was. And at least our kids uh, will hopefully recognize that they are the ones that need to take action. I tell you, for me, the moment that changed was was um, the Parkland shooting and mm. the the March for Our Lives movement that sprung out of it. Watching young advocates and activists recognize the fact that adults had let them down and had yeah. failed to act, and so they they just they refused to to leave it to to the quote unquote adults in the room. They say, you know what, we're going to do this. This is wrong. We've seen our friends die, no more. And my students a couple of years ago, they made a, a video that they chose to entitle, the title they chose for the poem was No More Waiting. You know, and the, the main idea in that poem is that, you know, we cannot wait for other people to fix our problems. We have to get out there and fix them ourselves. And I tell my kids all the time, like, I can't identify with the problems that you're dealing with. You know, I'm not, I'm not Latinx. I don't have parents who are at risk of deportation. I'm not black. I'm not at risk of being shot when I'm pulled over. I'm a, I'm in a privileged position. Um, it's also about teaching. You know, I try to be as culturally responsive in my classroom as I can. And as a representative of the Asian community, it's incumbent upon me to to make sure the kids understand that you know this is a really tough time for for Asians in America, you know, for, for people who are afraid of the xenophobia that's coming from being, you know, blamed for the Chinese virus, the coronavirus, and also, you know, Asians, you know, Asian Americans, we tend to be a little bit more soft-spoken, and we don't raise our hands as much to talk about things, but, you know, riots and, and looting, things that you see on the news, it's incredibly triggering for us. You know, anytime I listen to elders in my community talk about the, the riots in the nineties, 
there in Koreatown in LA, they talk about how they were standing on the roof buildings above their stores with shotguns, just trying to keep their, their, their life savings and their, their businesses that they'd given everything to from being burned to the ground. And so, you know, at the same time that we rise in support of, you know, the black community, it, it does also quicken our heart rates when we see things on the news that, that, you know, remind us of, of one of the worst chapters in our history and that we then have to overcome and say, you know what, it's all right. We have to do this anyways, you know, and things will be better as a result. And when one of us rises, we all rise. So, you know, there you go. Beautiful. Wonderful. And I recorded after the March today, Jim asked me, you know, just to record some reflections and, and I was, we'll probably just tag it on to the end of this, this call, but I was surprised how emotional I became. And as you were talking about, you know, triggers with Parkland for me, uh, it was just recently cause I, before all of this Black Lives Matter, I was already preparing some equity work with the staff for the fall. And I came across this video that I had seen a long time ago, but it's a picture, it starts off, I think in the 60s or 70s, but it, there's a, you know, a table and there's a little four and five year olds, right? There's a table and it has a white baby and a black baby and they're exactly the same, right? Same baby, just different skin. And they asked the kids who are so tiny, they might be in kindergarten. Maybe some are a little bit older because there's a series of, of kids that come through on the video, the most recent video I watched because it went through time. Right, right. But just overwhelmed with the idea that when the adult in the room says to the kid, which one of these babies is the nice baby? Mm -hmm. It's the white baby. Which of these babies is the smart baby? the white baby, which of these babies is the mean baby or the scary baby or the stupid baby or the what, whatever negative terms were coming out, ugly baby. I mean, it was always the black baby mm. and it was, it was consistent. It was consistent for white kids and black kids and Hispanic kids and yeah. In kids from even in other countries, Spanish-speaking kids. I mean, it it was shocking for me to see that again. And interestingly, that I had kind of gone down that road before this evolved and erupted, and yeah. wondering about how do we, how do we as educators make it so that we can help kind of embed in our brains that the black baby is not the ugly baby, the stupid baby, the mean baby, the, right? Mm -hmm. And what are the little things that we can do in our classrooms that sort of empower, right? That idea that these babies are both beautiful, but it's a, such a big leap, it seems. I it don't know. Is. It is. Yeah, and it's one of those things where you know, I know, I know the podcast is all about little things in education, but for something this big, little things will only chip away, you know, like this is one of those things where, like you said, this starts so young with our kids, 
And as a system, like I said, it's not enough to passively teach about racism anymore. We have to be actively anti-racist. Yeah. And yeah. it has to start in early childhood, pre-K, all the way up so that whatever messaging it is that these kids are receiving that tells them that dark skin is bad, light skin is good. Right. That, that we don't just, as educators, put up our hands and say, well, you know, that is a perspective. Here's an alternative perspective, whatever. It's like, no, some things are just wrong. And, and frankly, for me, uh, immediately an alarm bell goes in my mind, like, wait, no, 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 no. It is not the place of school to indoctrinate kids or it's not your place as an individual to push your personal beliefs onto these kids. But I have to ignore that alarm bell because that alarm has also been planted in my mind by, yes. by, the, by those in power to keep us quiet and from actually making the change in, in conversation and in attitude and in action that will actually make things better for our children, you know, to free them from this cycle that we have all been stuck in. We have to, as a system, acknowledge the fact that racism is bad and that we as educators are warriors in this and we have to be strong and, and, and together in fighting this thing because if we don't, our students will be hurt and at the core, every single teacher is, is, is devastated by things that hurt their kids. You know, we love them. They are our family. They are our people. And so it's not just enough to say to the kids like, Hey man, you need to be aware of what's happening in the world. It is, Hey man, I'm not a member of your community, but I support you. You got to get out there and you got to fight because it's wrong. And anytime I have the opportunity to show up and fight behind you and clear space for you so that you can be heard in your fight, I'm going to do that. I'm not just going to teach you the history. I'm going to teach you how to make history, right? Our champions are there now. They just, they need preparation. They need our help in uh, crafting their messages. And then they need us to provide them with platforms like podcasts or YouTube videos or whatever the media may be so that they can get their voice out there. And then they just, once they learn how to do it, they take off. And so instead of them learning how to do it in their twenties, if they can learn it when they are 12, that's, that's an additional decade of impact that they can have. Yeah. And that compounded will hopefully take us to where it is. We all want to be so that you're not marching on a Sunday afternoon. So you're just, just enjoying the, 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 the new world in which we all get to live, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that, that I think you're so right that that notion of neutrality that we've sort of embraced in education. I mean, it's all, that's privilege. That's white privilege. Uh, that right is. There. You know, some yeah. of us get to be, to act neutral and to pretend like race doesn't matter. And, yeah, it's impacting our kids and their families every single day in lots of different ways. And so, you know, we can't, we can't be neutral anymore. Nope. No. Yeah. And the work is there for us to look at every day what we do with our students 
to make sure that also there are images of powerful people from many different mm -hmm. places, right? And many different races and making sure that that image and, and those examples are there and not just rely on the convenience of whoever wrote the history books, because mm -hmm. we know that most of history is written by those who have power and those yeah. who've won the war. So mm -hmm. we've got to take time to make sure that we have all voices heard. Absolutely. And inside of all of us, that, that word power that you can come back to, you know, our job as teachers is to teach kids how to access their power. You know, first recognize that yeah. we are all powerful. You are powerful. And the fact of the matter is that most of the, the pent up frustration and everything that we're seeing on the news right now it is rooted in the fact that long ago people recognized the power of your ancestors and the only way that they could control it was by convincing these people and and not just convincing by by forcing them and beating them and murdering them into a position where they lost sight of their power and then also were too afraid to exercise it and yeah. now it is incumbent upon all of us to activate that power inside of our children so that they can go out there and defend themselves and defend their communities. And then, you know, I, it's, it's one of those things where my daughters, I have two little girls and they're four and two and they're getting ready to enter this educational system. And, uh, you know, I'm, my wife is a feminist. I'm a feminist. We believe in the power of our daughters. And Jimmy, talk about privilege. My daughters are a quarter Korean. You know, they, they're blonde hair, blue-eyed little cuties. And, you know, I, I think one of my greatest fears as a father is that they will, they will rest too easily on their privilege, you know? And I also feel that little bit of... Uh, I'm a little unsure of when it is that I should get intense with them about, you know, the fact that they are privileged and that they have a responsibility because of that privilege. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking four is pretty darn close to right. Uh, but <laughs> here it comes. But I look at, I look at the two-year-old. I'm like, I don't know. Can you, There's can a new, you, can a new uh, baby book, board book that just came out, anti-racist baby. So I saw that. I'm yeah, excited. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I haven't yes. seen it yet, but I've heard some great things. So yeah, I, <laughs> I, I buy it just for the title and I saw, yeah. I saw the picture too. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. John, thank you so much for talking to us because we're just trying to like everybody else make sense of all this and um, you know, just having another, uh person chatted out with us and help yeah. us figure things out and perspective some, yeah and, feelings and emotions and john whatever videos that you feel that you can share with us too we we just want your student voices to continue to be out there if if there's permission for us to be able to share them because they, they are powerful they are very powerful yeah if anybody listening wants to check out the work that my students put out there um, our YouTube channel is Ninth Evermore, the number nine with TH and then Evermore uh, Ninth after Evermore. that. And, and you can check out, they've got videos on standing up for the communities and they've also got like a, a quoting or citing sources uh, in a text Harlem Shake video. And 
math, all kinds of stuff. But nice. So nice. Yeah, yeah. They, they do we'll good work. To it. We'll link to it from our webpage. Yeah, definitely. Perfect. You guys aren't going to ask me the question about like what I would tell my younger self. Like <laughs> everybody gets that question. We'd love to hear if it's shifted. Has it changed at all, John? Are you going to give yourself different I, advice? I've got all kinds of advice for my younger self. Okay, tell us. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, invest in this thing called Zoom. Uh, it's it's going <laughs> to be on. big. You, you, you can still stay in the classroom, but you won't have to worry about stuff as much. You know, uh, I would tell my younger self to uh, move twice as fast and say half as much. You know, mm. and then... And then I'd, I'd also recommend that he, he go ahead and high five and hug any, any kid passing by in the hallway, especially the ones having a hard time, because uh, in a matter of years, there'll be a moratorium on high fives and hugs. And so, yeah. you know, get them in now, first year teacher, John, because they, they feed the soul and they're going to be few and far between uh, within the decade. So, so true. Yeah. I have a feeling, though, that you'll find some other ways to connect with your yeah. students because that is your yeah. strength. So I, <laughs> I don't know if elbow bumps will ever do the job, but <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be. It's gonna look like I'm a UFC fighter in my in my school. I mean, just going after kids. Just a lot of sanitizer, a lot of hand sanitizer. A lot of hand sanitizer, but I tell you what, man. I this for this beautiful moment in history it's awful it's terrible it's horrible but the, the marches and the protests and everything is so beautiful and to be on summer break when it's happening and not to have the chance to process with kids is the most painful thing i think in the whole wide world it's you know and again that that just speaks to my privilege you know that's you know i am i'm privileged in all things but more than anything else i am privileged to be a teacher yeah, it's a yeah. great thing to be in education. It's the best job in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you for taking time on your Sunday to chat with us. Yeah. And, uh, and thanks for no, rescheduling thank so hey, I could go rally. No, you're awesome. And if you don't mind, I just got like for anybody who's listening, if you've been listening to the podcast like me, you know, you guys have some cool people on like yeah. <laughs> authors and article, you know, all this kind of stuff. But, uh, Tracy was the first principal I ever got to work with when I was a pre-service teacher. She and her, her amazing teachers uh, hosted me at their elementary. And then Jim, I got, to, I got the pleasure of getting to know when we were doing turnaround work in my like second year of teaching. <laughs> you guys, like not for nothing, I mean, you guys kind of raised me as a teacher. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you get all these experts on here, but, you know, thanks, thanks for bringing on little old John again. Well, you're probably coming back, so just prepare, okay? That's right. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. All thank right. You thank so you. Well, thank Give you. Give your family so a much. hug from for us. You know it. All, All right. Good. Back to you. All right. See, see you. It. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, after having uh, worked in an all African-American school for 15, 16 years. I always felt that I was part of the Black Lives Movement, no matter what, because I was helping those children. Um, and then I moved to Utah, and I got away from what I was doing. 
and it gave me a new perspective. Um, and I realized that I needed to do much, much more than I was doing. Uh, m more than just waking up in the morning and, and, and teaching. Teaching wasn't, wasn't enough. Going to the movement today made me realize I, what I'd already realized that the children that I were teaching, they were growing up in this society where they're, they needed um, education, but they were going out into a world that was hurtful to them. Once they left my classroom um, and that supportive environment, they'd go out on the streets and they were living with um, people who would hurt them just because of the color of their skin. And I knew that, but somehow I thought that I could change that just one year in their, just with one year in their, with teaching them. And um, I know now, especially after this huge movement in this country and being away from the environment that I that I um, was in in St. Louis that I need to do so much more. I don't know what that is, but um, just being in, in uh, with the rally today just made me made me realize that I'm, I'm making one more step and it made me feel good um, and I hope I can continue to make a difference. Tell us how you feel about Black Lives Matter after today's rally. Um, I feel great. I am just so glad to see the amount of people that showed up. Um, I've been, like, a part of the Black Lives Matter movement since I was 13, and yet I've always been, like, afraid to, like, speak out about it, um, because it was just such a controversial topic. And it's just so good that now, for the first time ever, it's controversial not to say it. And I think that that's just absolutely fantastic. Um, I think that this is such a beautiful movement that's happening. Um, I knew that it was an important thing to be talking about before I went to the rally, but afterwards and after hearing all of these people's stories, it just, it, it seems even more important to me. And from someone coming from St. Louis, where I was, I don't know, I think in the seventh grade, when the Ferguson riots were happening and when Michael Brown got shot and killed and where it seems that Black Lives Matter really it started almost in Ferguson and just to feel like you started out with the Black Lives Matter movement and just coming from a place where it's really really controversial and there's so much racism and just knowing that you can go anywhere and it follows you it's just such a beautiful thing be able to know that it's everywhere and it's beautiful.